This is the Art of Warcast, a podcast about Legend of the Five Rings. Wait! This isn't an L5R podcast. This is Keyforge. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, okay. All right, so uh, hold on. Let me find the right music. All right, I think I got it figured out. Here we go. All right, we're good. Back to the show. I'm Tobin Lopez. Don Litton. I'm Doug Keister. I'm Richard Garfield, and this is the Art of Warcast. Forgecast, a Keyforge special with Dr. Richard Garfield. To 99% of the listeners, Dr. Richard Garfield needs no introduction. He changed the landscape of analog gaming with his creation, Magic the Gathering, in 1993. He soon went on to design Jihad, also known as Vampire of the Eternal Struggle, Netrunner, Robo Rally, The Great El Moody, Sophie Rich, a favorite game of Tobin's, by the way, and more recently games such as King of Tokyo, Bunny Kingdom, and Artifact. He's given his time to talk to us about Keyforge, Call of the Archons, a unique game from Fantasy Flight Games. Welcome, Richard. Do you have anything that you'd like to add? Uh, nope, that was a, a, a broad introduction. Thank you. <laughs> That's what we aim to do here. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and open up. Uh, we're going to kind of rotate through question asking. And uh, again, very conversational. Thank you very much, Richard, for joining us today. Uh, Doug, you have the first question. All right. So for those uh, who may not know yet, please share a bit about the central ideas which led you to design Keyforge, please. Sure. Uh, Keyforge is what we're calling a unique deck game. And uh, what that means is that every deck that is published uh, is unique. It has a unique uh, name, which is written on the back so that uh, the cards aren't mixed with each other. Uh, the reason I was interested in that is because in the early days of uh, trading card games, we played a lot of leagues. Leagues were uh, systems where each player would get a limited number of cards and they would work with that universe of cards uh, over weeks or months. And uh, it was a lot of fun to play this way, but it was a pain to maintain because your cards would get mixed with all your other cards and uh, you would lose track of which league was which. And, uh, and so uh, I envisioned this idea of marking all the decks to keep them distinct. And back in the day, uh, the only way to do that would, would have been with uh, after printing the decks, putting numbers on the back. Uh, so I filed that away under, maybe someday I'll be able to be able to do something a little more exciting with that. And uh, a few years ago, I began looking at the uh, uh, possibilities with printing and realized that uh, probably the time had come. And so uh, uh, here we are. Excellent, cool. excellent. Yeah, the the uh, the idea that just on the the back the back of the card, each card in the deck has a unique image as the name of the deck, and then oh sorry, it doesn't have the yeah has the name of the deck, but then on the front of the card, the name of the deck is there as well. That's that's an amazing uh, leap in printing technology, and, and it's got to be a complex uh, hassle. <laughs> it's it's no, no doubt. I and you were approached FFG a couple of years ago, and it's probably taken them that long to iron out all the all the manufacturing. Uh, uh, yeah, they were pretty. That. Yeah, they were pretty optimistic they could do it, but uh, but they uh, but it was still going down new territory. They didn't know if they'd end up buying a bunch of printing machines or uh, you know what, uh, but uh, but they got it all worked out, and uh, I'm really sort of pleased with the quality of the final product. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's they, the the cards look amazing. I 
had a chance to be, I, I was at Gen Con, so I've shared uh, my living decks with Carl and Doug, and they're just, we're all kind of drooling over the, over the look of the decks and the art and so on and so forth. So, Yeah, the art is great. The printing is wonderful. It's, the, the card quality is excellent. Oh yeah, most definitely. Very, we've been passing them, handing them around to the people at the um, cafe, going like, "Say, look at these guys, and they're great." So, when you um, approached FFG about developing and publishing the game, can you tell us a bit about the differences between the game as you presented it and the game now? You know, with the seven houses, with the big mechanical changes. Uh, yes, uh, there. I wouldn't characterize any of the changes as big, uh, but uh, but there were definitely some, and, and and there were some changes that weren't small. Uh, Flavor-wise, uh, when first presented, it was a, sort of a gladiatorial challenge. And uh, uh, instead of making keys, you were making totems. Uh, and huh. you were using crystals uh, to, to build the totems. Uh, so so that, that I would regard as minor. And uh, usually with my games, I, I sort of have a placeholder flavor, uh, which uh, I work with the publisher to finalize. Yeah, uh, yeah. There were seven houses. Uh, they were broadly similar to what they are now. There's been some shifting of the powers. Uh, shadows, for example, used to uh, be uh, more, have more direct creature destruction than it does now because it just had too much going on with the, with the stealing, for example. Mm -hmm. The biggest mechanical change was uh, the structure of the battle line. Um, the way I had the game set up originally, uh, you actually didn't have a battle line yourself, but you had a, 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 when you put a creature into play, you would engage another person's creature into a central battle line. Um, and uh, uh, the purpose of that was that I wanted to make it so that uh, I wanted to make it so the board wasn't as easy to clear as in a game like Hearthstone, and you would build up a heavier state. And so uh, one of the problems with uh, uh, sticky damage, uh, damage which hangs around from turn to turn, is that, uh, and also one where you can attack creatures directly, is that there's a tendency to get a lot of board clears. Um, so to, uh, if you make it so that uh, when you play second, you can choose who to engage and sort of lock them into combat, Mm -hmm. you're, you're getting a, uh, uh, you're putting some of the advantage on the second player. Right. Uh, it was uh, a, um, more confusing though, and uh, it was very interesting, but it, it kind of slowed the game down. And at one point, uh, the guys from FFG tried playing it where, where instead of uh, doing that, it was more like the Hearthstone style where you choose who to attack. And I was uh, really skeptical at first because that's exactly what I didn't want to get was uh, something with a lot of board clearing. But, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. but when I played it, uh, I actually realized that this uh, hand-filling uh, system helped a lot in the sense that if you got a dominant board position and you used it to clear repeatedly, you probably weren't drawing as many cards, which right. allowed the other person over time to often come back. And, uh, and, and so uh, I, 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 uh, I went with the system as proposed. And, uh, and then we added, we figured we, instead of having a battle line where you were across from one another, we put a battle line where you, uh, your, your creatures were in a battle line. 
So, right, and that, that's that's to me that's one of the most interesting parts of the game is you you have all these other things going on, you, house choice, and whether that you know the it's really the it, there is no there is no uh, really real resource or something that you pay to play cards, right? Your amber is the resource that you use to build keys, but that's the only resource really in the game. One of the things. The, the cost of saying, I'm going to go Brobnar and I'm going to attack, all my Brobnars are going to fight with yours, is the cost, is the not being able to do something with the other two houses in your deck. Yeah. But the, the battle opposite. line was, the, it seems, when we were first introduced to this idea of the battle line, we're like, flanking and not flanking. And so placement, placement of the creatures and the order in which you place them as you play, uh, as I was, as I demoed the game at Gen Con, and I, I continuously talked about the order of operations. Like you can choose your house, but you also want to choose what order you play the creatures down in because you can play them on the flank. And so that adds a level of ingenuity, a level of complexity to the game that allows you to learn how to play your deck better, right? Which is part of what you said. And that's one of the things I enjoy about the game. And it's interesting to hear about, we had a question exactly per pertaining to how did you come up with a battle line structure so that's that's <laughs> what it is it's, um yeah and, and the battle line is fairly easy to keep track of right you, you have creatures on the flank and you have creatures that aren't on the flank and there it is right it's but you can it's open attack to between any any particular creatures yeah and and uh to that i would add uh taunters exactly yes. yeah, yeah exactly um Oh, uh, one, one other uh, very important mechanic which was added uh, in FFG's care was uh, the capture mechanic. Um, uh, uh, one of the uh, developers over there uh, was uh, uh, suggested something similar to that and it became uh, a, a really big mechanic in, uh, in Sanctum uh, among other places, but uh, that's the mechanic where uh, uh, Gems, or sorry, uh, uh, Amber is uh, is taken from your opponent and put on a creature, and when that creature is destroyed, it goes back to the opponent. Right. And uh, right. Um, so, so yeah, uh, that was a, a really good suggestion, and uh, it gave another way to uh, modify to interfere with the uh, your opponent's plans without being quite as draconian as uh, stealing. Right. And then, and then you have you you add to that mechanic capturing. Amber from their own side. Yeah, that came along there's later. A of, uh, there's Mar a couple of those cards in there too. Yeah, Mars was uh, Mars was our problem house. Uh, we we had a lot of changes to Mars over the years, uh, over uh, over the development time, and uh, and uh, um, they ended up with some really weird mechanics. <laughs> and and some of the throwbacks uh, that having brought in Mars, of course, Mars attacks is a and and all the classic, you know, world. Uh, all the classic Mars references throughout sci-fi. Uh, those, it's it's wonderful to see a blend of you know the, some of the newer sci-fi trends, uh, and then and then some of the classic ones in Mars. So, yeah, yeah. Mars was a uh, 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 it was a pretty important house to me, even though it was the problem house. Uh, it 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 also uh, flavor-wise was a very important house to me because. Uh, one thing I was committed to with this game was having a sense of humor in the uh, in the cards. I wanted to make sure that uh, uh, that uh, uh, 
it, it didn't become dark and serious, but but had had a, uh, a sort of craziness about it because I thought that would really resonate well with the crazy mechanics and uh, and sort of the uh, mix and match uncertainty of what was going on. And right. Mars was sort of a way of ensuring that because it's really hard to be serious about <laughs> entirely serious when one of your houses is Mars. <laughs> Oh, I, 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 say, I love the I... fact that it's, there's the, the lighthearted and the crazy nature of the game that it, it even when I'm having a rough game, it's it's hard to get like too tilty about it just because of the of of that aspect of the game. Yeah, that's a yeah, that was exactly my thinking. Uh, and I'm, I'm really uh, uh, I, I had to work pretty hard to get that flavor. But uh, once uh, you know, when, uh, but FFG, once, uh, once we were all on the same page, they, they did a really bang up job with the art and, uh, and, and getting that humor and, uh, they've gone a long way with themselves as well. Yeah. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. So how hard is it to balance the effects of the houses in the Keyforge universe? Uh, it, um, it, well, it's it's hard to say. It it it, uh, it was challenging because it gave me it 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 was without the uh, mana cost, uh, you know, something like that where you could just some, make something safe just by tacking an extra uh, cost to the to it. Uh, that that made it difficult to challenge card by card. And of course, I didn't want to necessarily challenge card by card. I was open to having stronger and weaker cards as long as the uh, general aggregate effect was uh, that uh, uh, the houses were, were balanced. Uh, in fact, there were times, there was a point where I was considering having negative cards in there, uh, although I've uh, gone away from those. I mean, there are cards which you can hurt yourself with, don't get me wrong, but, <laughs> but there's no card which you say, oh, I wish, you know, it's like a, the fact that I've got this in my hand hurts me. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, and and some of the questions about uh, how 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 difficult it is to balance will probably uh, come to light as the game uh, is released because until you really have a community playing, you don't know uh, how how good a job you've done. Uh, the play testers have have certainly helped iron some of the balance out, and and our play has. But uh, but there's nothing like getting you know. Uh, tens or hundreds of thousands of people actually playing. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's uh, you can play test till the end of time and you still won't catch anything. You won't catch some things that, that releasing it uh, openly uh, will find out, right? So yeah, that's it, it's worth, it might be worth revisiting one of, uh, uh, in, in response to the question how difficult it is to balance, giving a specific uh, change in balance, the biggest change in balance was probably, uh, as I mentioned a little earlier, uh, in shadows, and and that came about just people, you know, the playtesters valued shadow too much. They felt like every uh, important deck had shadows, and uh, it 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 took me a long time to be convinced that was actually the case, uh, uh, because because I'm uh, very used to uh, um, uh, players becoming convinced of something, and then because they're convinced of it, it sort of becomes true. Um, but uh, mm -hmm. but I just gave too many uh, you know too many too many powers to uh, shadows and so we we cut back a lot of them and now the the 
uh, there's not nearly as much uh, sort of assassination effects in, uh, in, in shadows, oh, okay. and that helped a lot. Truism that myself, Doug, and Tobin have been saying for a while now, which is as a part of playtesting, is the one thing we're sure of when we're done playtesting is that someone will surprise us. Yeah. It's just the, it's just the nature, you know, we'll, there'll, be, there'll be something. So you talk about um, game mechanics there. Um, where do you get your inspiration from game mechanics from? Has everyday life ever been an inspiration for something that ended up in the game? Uh, yes. Uh, I am uh, frequently inspired by real life, um, most often probably by, uh, by sort of complex phenomena that I think about, like, you know, I'm thinking about how international currencies work or how evolution works, and I'll make a game to model that, and that will inspire some mechanics. But, but actually, in real life, a couple examples uh, are, uh, uh, you mentioned earlier, uh, Filthy Rich. That was uh, inspired by walking down streets in Hong Kong. And uh, as I walked down the streets, signs were just covering each other. And as I walked further down, I would see them become uncovered and ones behind them that were being blocked were visible. And so that very directly inspired the idea behind uh, Filthy Rich. And uh, uh, there was a small game I did called uh, Pecking Order, which was inspired by watching uh, uh, seagulls uh, landing on posts and, and uh, <laughs> fantasized that there were uh, more valuable and less valuable posts. And uh, somehow the seagulls were uh, exploring their <laughs> pecking order as to who got to land on the good ones. Excellent, excellent. No, uh, for those of you who uh, can find a copy of Filthy Rich, it's worth it. It's a, it's a, it's an odd, and this is what ninety six, Richard, maybe ninety seven. Uh, I'm not um, sure, but that's about right. Yeah, it's a three ring binder, and you put cards in nine nine by card sleeves, and they represent the signs that Richard is talking about. And as you progress through the game, you move and uncover different signs. It's a wonderful, fun game. We played it for years, and then the gentleman who owned it moved away, <laughs> and that was that was all all that she wrote. Um, can you tell us? So, so now we know a little bit about what what inspires you from everyday life. But can you tell us a little bit about how you design cards for Keyforge, like, or maybe a house or an effect? You mentioned taunt earlier. I think taunt, in you know, as as we now know about the battle line, taunt is very important in a battle line, right? Uh, skirmish and elusive are more traditional um, creature v creature ideas, but can you give, give us a little insight into how you design cards, houses, so on and so forth? Uh, yeah, well, the first the first thing for the houses is I want to get a a, a, um, a really broad palette, which people can uh, uh, which appeals to different psychographics. Uh, so. Uh, I began out with this idea that you want a you want a sneaky color, you want a sort of a meta color, you want a clever color. I should say houses, not colors here. Uh, yeah. But uh, mm -hmm. um, and then uh, that's uh, so the the first step was sort of uh, uh, getting a, in, in at the very first draft was uh, six of these. Uh, I added the seventh later, and. Uh, and, and so from there, I began with Brobnar and said, okay, I want something which is all about combat. And, uh, and so I'm, I gave them the biggest creatures and, uh, and uh, made them a very straightforward uh, class because that, uh, that approach appeals to some people. So from there, uh, looking at the, end of the mechanics of what the game has going for it, I looked for very natural ways to tweak it and uh, what 
you know, uh, and then and then tried to come up with a flavor that uh, corresponded. So skirmish was actually one of the very early ones that I came up with. I was trying to get the, the game down to one number rather than the two number of a game like Magic, where you might have a two right. creature or a four two creature. Uh, yep. Everything here is basically uh, an NN creature, a five five or a seven seven. But, uh, and so that was partially, I, I view games as having this com a complexity budget. <laughs> Uh, and so if I saved my budget from giving two numbers there, I could put it into something else. And so it's interesting that you're, that there's a complexity budget, like it's a zero sum game. You can make a game as comp, this is a top end to the complexity that you can make a game. So if you make it simple on one side being the creature numbers, you can make it a little bit more complex on the other side being battle lines or something like that. Yeah, that's exactly yeah, very cool. Yeah. yeah. And so and so uh, I thought that if I got rid of one of those numbers, I'd be able to spend it on creature abilities and the battle line and, mm. uh, and uh, end up with an aggregate, more interesting game. And Skirmish is one of my, you know, first, uh, the first mechanics that came after that, which was, well, if you have Skirmish, which uh, is when you attack, your opponent doesn't do damage to you, that's not right. quite like having more toughness but it's something like it. And so it's sort of in a new area. Right, uh, right. Elusive is one that is, is uh, particularly frustrating for me to see on my opponent's side because you're like, okay, I have to attack you twice to even do any kind of damage. Oh, that's, that's frustrating. <laughs> Elusive actually came about pretty late in the design process. Uh, there was uh, a mechanic called Hidden, uh, which, uh, there, went through many iterations. I knew that I wanted some evasive ability for creatures, but, mm -hmm. uh, um, and there was, uh, I think hidden, I, I, I forget, but, but there was at least one point where the mechanic was uh, sort of the opposite of taunt. Uh, you would have to attack the neighbors first and then you would have to attack it. But there oh, were, okay. Ouch, yeah. There were all sorts of mechanical reasons why various things didn't work and it was pretty late in the process we came up with elusive and, uh, and I really like what that did for, uh, making it so creatures were delicate, but at the same time had a little bit of staying power. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Well, and, 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 and with some of those elusive creatures, it's, they have such a powerful reap ability or play or fight ability or some ability that they can use. So they, you, you want them to be able to have at least half a chance of staying in till the next time their house is called. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes that might be a couple turns, but it, it, you want them to have at least half a chance to be in there. So. Uh, very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, and, and some of the creatures uh, that don't have it are notable for it. Like in uh, Dis, uh, uh, you've got uh, the Succubus and that Imp, which makes you draw one less card, or uh, uh, only be able to play two cards a turn. Right. Those are very powerful abilities, but those guys aren't elusive. And so uh, very frequently they get ganked as soon as they go mm -hmm. into play. But... Uh, but <laughs> but the fact that you're forcing your opponent to gank it, or at least do this, this sort of gank check, uh, makes them interesting in themselves when they actually uh, hit the table. Yeah, yeah. Gank, gank check, now be my turn. There we go. That is quite interesting. Uh, so what are some of the things that surprised you during testing and development? As I always like to make systems as modular as possible, so they're sort of uh, designed to surprise. So not many of those meta surprised me, but many of those surprised me. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, so uh, there were 
definitely mechanics which would uh, spin out of control. Like it, like there's uh, cards which would uh, cause you to draw more cards, but they would trigger off of each other, and people would end up drawing their whole deck. And uh, and and so you get these situations where uh, mechanics would feed on each other and uh, and, uh, and and do something unexpected. I, I I'm uh, uh, delighted when that happens, but uh, but uh, <laughs> um, at the same time, want to make it. So that, uh, As a player, I always like seeing when someone does. You know, someone comes up with a new card combo, or you know, thinks about a card in a different way than I have, and that makes me think about the game differently. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one one specific example for me was uh, Bad Penny, which is uh, one of my favorite, <laughs> favorite names and flavors. So Bad Penny uh, is is uh, a, a a very small creature in Shadows, which goes back to your hand when she's dead, when when she's uh, removed from play, when she's destroyed. destroyed. When she's yeah, destroyed. Destroyed. Um, and uh, when she was first in the game, most of the people who were testing it just thought she was awful. Um, because <laughs> so in, She feels in, your hand. She goes right. back, right? In, in magic, from drawing something else. Right. In magic, that's that's great. You get a bonus card. But in but in this card advantage is really weird. Uh, and, and it often is counterintuitive. And people would understand if she goes back to your hand, you're drawing one less card. So you've got this crappy one, you know, weak creature coming back again. But then she started appearing in more and more combos, uh, and and so people would do things like uh, you know finish off an enemy creature while playing ha uh, disc, and she'd go back to your hand, and then she could play it again. So they she isn't costing them a card, or or they have you know mm -hmm. one of the best com you know common combos is uh, the pet pawn sacrifice, where you sacrifice mm -hmm. one of your creatures, destroy two opponents' creatures, and now she's back in your hand, and you plop her down on the table again. And, uh, um, yep. I mean, when your opponent, she can be a disadvantage because your opponent can put her back in your hand and, and you may not want her there, but, uh, but uh, she's, she's very interesting. Cool, cool. Yeah, there was very much a utility the, creature. The, the ex, the, and, uh, you know, we meant, I, I talked about opportunity cost of once you call a house, you can't call the other two. But one of the things in this game in, in playing it uh, over the time that I have is just failing like i have a card in my hand that i i could could have a big effect if i draw another card that triggers with it or i could just get rid of the thing and get an amber right that's that, that is the hardest that's a, game play that's a, that's a big thing to to unlearn right to, uh, connection to this great card in my hand that i'm going to discard uh, it's, uh, it really is uh um it, you play with first time uh, very good magic players, you can explain that to them, and they still just can't let go of cards <laughs> unless they're getting something out of them. Right, uh, right. And, and it's not, of course, that you just want to burn your deck as fast as possible, but, uh, but you have to be very picky about which cards you actually are going to save. Yeah. And if you're going to save them, it may be a reason not to call that house in the first place, or it might be a reason to call that house and save it. It's, it's uh, yeah, very yeah. tricky. Uh, the um, the playing Anarchin Netrunner effect, as I like to think, was teaching the best. <laughs> Everything goes in yeah. the trash, you'll deal with it later. Yeah. So there were cards in some of your older games that um, basically reference yourself. Um, Felder Griffin Magic, um, KRCG Radio in um, Vampire Eternal Struggle. Are there any cards in that vein in Keyforge? Uh, yes and no. Uh, first, the premise, I don't think I've ever put in a self-referential card. Other people always have. 
<laughs> so, so I, I, I would expect if there's a uh, Richard card, it will appear later. And, and when you gave me that list, uh, I actually, KRCG and radio and B-test, I don't even know if I knew that was there. <laughs> if I did know it was there, it, it, it was completely erased from my mind. Uh, I was surprised. I, I imagine you might have seen a few cards across the years. So that's really um, well, Richard, I was a longtime V-test player, and we <laughs> saw that first right off blammo it like as soon as it came out we knew it and it's one of the staple cards and it was one of the staple cards in the game f for the entire existence of the game so krcg radio was a was a thing <laughs> well, uh it, it is it is entirely possible i'm misremembering and i actually made that card but uh i think i've never made a self-referential card but right. on the other hand i do make cards for other people so uh in uh keyforge uh, there's a card for my son and daughter, uh, Schuler. Uh, my my son's name is Skyler, and so in Dis you have Schuler. Oh yeah. Uh, and my ah. my daughter is Terry Linnea Garfield, and her name her 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 card is uh, Taliga, which is the first two letters of each of those names. Uh, the Taliga Witch. Okay. Oh, okay. Crazy. And then uh, that's awesome. My my uh, wife Coney has several cards. One is uh, the the, the uh, uh, Khalifi Dragon, which is a uh, <laughs> an anagram of Coney Garfield. Oh, oh, okay, that's hilarious. That's the, that's the big fracking dragon that requires <laughs> you to have seven amber to put it into play. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I actually got that to hit yes. the table once. It was great. I've got. Uh, I've got uh, two baby twins, uh, uh, Scott, uh, James and Antoine. They're, uh, they just turned one uh, a month ago. Congratulations. And, uh, they, Excellent. Oh, thank you. Uh, they, they are awesome. not uh, in the first set, but the, in the expansion, there uh, are a, a pair of cars that are twins that always come up in pairs. Uh, so you guys are playing the expansion that you've seen it. I don't know if you're, uh, you're probably not allowed to talk about it. And I'm probably not either, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they will be there. We'll take the reference all the same, right? Cool. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, and, and what, what advice, and we've, we've talked about this before, right? Like the, you, you watch magic players try to play this game and they don't want to give up cards. What advice do you have uh, to anyone learning the game? So, so, how many games would you say it takes to to truly measure whether or not this game is for you? Uh, any any bits and hints about how to play better, faster? Yeah, I will play, playing better, faster. I would advise uh, advise always dumping cards. Um, that's not <laughs> really? that, that is absolutely not the the best approach, but that will be the best for somebody playing the first time. Uh, if they just say, this looks powerful, I'll save it, that's the wrong move. S see more cards, cycle your deck. Then the, you know, the second or third time you play, you can start making intelligent decisions about that. Uh, but if you begin out with the assumption, dump cards as fast as I can, uh, you're going to be on a better footing than if you uh, 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 try to uh, decide what to save. Um, whether the game is for you, uh, um, you, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's hard to say because it really plays very differently than uh, most other card games. Uh, you've got to give it a few shots and get your head around this uh, the card filling uh, thing. There's avenues for control in this game that a lot of people don't 
appreciate it first. The number of cards, 36, was sort of chosen originally because it's very similar to a magic deck. Uh, um, the, a magic deck, of course, has 60 when you construct it, but a lot of that is land. Uh, and so ah, uh, 36. I was wondering where the th 36 came from. Yeah. 36 is, uh, yeah, is, is sort of the, the canonical amount of land to have is 24. And, you know, you'll have special lands and so forth. So it's not mm -hmm. exactly right. And some people run mm -hmm. light or some people run heavy. So you've got uh, about a similar sort of complexity space. Uh, but your churn through the deck is much faster, which means that if you've got key cards you need, you can play faster and uh, slower uh, to get to them. Also, uh, when you really know what you're doing, um, you, you may realize that you need cards that have already gone away. And in this game, you don't lose if you run through your deck. You reshuffle and go again. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. And that's fantastic. I've, I've had games where I've gone through my deck twice and almost a third time uh, yeah. during and, the course of the game. Yeah, that was sort of one of my big improvements in play at one point, uh, skill that is, is uh, I was trying to beat a particular deck and uh, it was better than the deck I had, but I did have uh, one card and I forget the details, which, which was key to my being able to beat it. And when I, once I got into my head that, that, one, that, that after that card was played, I needed to sprint through my deck and get it in my hand again. Uh, I was actually start able to start taking taking some victories against it, and uh, oh, so wow. big improvement to my play. Yeah, and and that and that can with the unique deck idea you have. Sometimes you have two copies of that card, and sometimes you only have the one. So uh, yeah. speed is is variable. Well, yeah. So I was thinking that uh, that that fear of decking yourself is a big thing in Magic but it's a misplay in Keyforge. So that seems like that's a big player mistake. Yeah. Uh, are there other things that you've seen so far that players need to unlearn mistakes that people are making? Yeah. Uh, I, I should also tie that into uh, that my original advice, just dump everything. That gets you used to that idea that you're not decking yourself. Uh, um, so another common mistake uh, is is to be worried, overly worried, about uh, what appear to be unfavorable creature exchanges. So there's a certain frustration that a player might have if uh, they, their opponent gets in some big creatures and then on their turn, they put out a bunch of creatures and they're just all wiped. And then they put out some more creatures and they're just wiped. And that feels bad because that is bad in, in almost every game. Here, it can be bad, but, but if your opponent is not drawing any cards or drawing only one card, uh, then they're not really making any ground either, right? Uh, you've lost three cards, but they haven't drawn any cards, so you're kind of in the same space, and maybe, maybe they've even accumulated some damage. So it's, it's uh, um, uh, unlearning this, uh, this, this thing of uh, this, this thing which is so common in trading card games that if you have a creature, and it kills another creature and you still got that creature in play, that that's strictly a good thing. That's not the case here. It, it, there's a lot of sort of stuff going on in the background as to how many cards you're drawing and how you're bet, you know, what, what opportunity you're missing from not playing the other colors, the other right. houses. Right. Yeah. right. I sort of view my battle line and my creatures as I play them as just an expendable resource. Yeah. And, and the one that could also come back. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that is absolutely not to say that there aren't, 
positions which are you know essentially uh, locks on the board uh, or that the person who is wiping the board is necessarily getting a bad advantage you know it's like if they're able to generate a little bit of, of uh, a little bit on the side uh, uh, and they're working their way towards keys it's just it's just uh, yeah it's just not uh, in you can't use your old tools to interpret this. Yeah, totally. I've um, I've I've uh, surprised a lot of people on on demoing for them and, and giving them the first play by them me dropping a set of creatures, them dropping a set of creatures in response, then me reaping with all my four and passing the turn, and having them look at me in shock, going, "Wait, you're not fighting me? You're not killing me? What the heck is this?" You know, and that's a, one of them being the big one. Yeah, I'm doing this on purpose to go. Don't do that. You know? Now, on that subject as well, we can angle a little bit here. Um, is there an effect that isn't in the game so far or hasn't been seen yet that you? could possibly tell us about that might be coming <laughs> if, you, if you can work your way around that however obliquely yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, there's a couple effects which uh, which aren't one which isn't in the game at all but will be eventually and was definitely in the playtest from time to time is uh, token creatures oh, uh, oh interesting Ooh. Yeah. The, uh, um, there's a lot of space there to explore and a lot of fun things you can do, but uh, we decided that uh, um, you know, the complexity of getting extra tokens in play uh, was something that's better to hold back on. So I'm not sure when it will be there, but, uh, but when it is there, uh, 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 there should be some fun things. And uh, um, there's other things which uh, have a minor presence, but I expect at some point to have a bigger one. Uh, one of those is purging. Uh, purging is ah, yes. very interesting in Keyforge in that, uh, uh, so purging uh, is, is removing from the game. So uh, in, uh, it, 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 that effect in most games is very similar to just destroying it because it goes to the discard pile and that's where it is. But here, since you're recycling the discard pile, uh, that's actually removing it in a more permanent sense. If you only go through your deck once, it's very similar to elimination, but if you go through your deck twice, it's very different. And right now, uh, I think there's gonna be room for some very interesting purging decks, but they're gonna be very unusual. Uh, and and I, I, that, so, so that's the sort of mechanic which might have a bigger presence in the future. Yeah. Interesting. Now, having having talked about purge, I'm interested to know uh, how, how did the, the archive the the effect of archiving a card seems very powerful for the for the idea that you can parking lot you can put your important card that isn't going to have an effect turn one but might have a powerful the resounding effect turn six and if you can somehow manage to archive it until then how did that come about was that in the original in the original thinking for the game uh no that came about later uh it came about as I was fine-tuning Logos. Uh, ah, um, these archivers which used to be called House Quantum. Uh, <laughs> um, but Logos, okay. is, Logos is a good name. Um, and uh, so, so Logos was uh, the, it was the, I wanted it to be sort of the mad scientist color and it had card draw. Uh, in, um, in, in addition to sort of wacky creatures like, uh, you know, the neutron shark and uh, the crazy yeah. killing machine. Uh, so it was- I sort love of, CKM. <laughs> yeah, and it, one of the, uh, I, I was picturing sort of uh, uh, Futurama and Rick and Morty in particular with, uh, right. with, with uh, Logos. And uh, um, so, 
so it had card draw, but card draw wasn't quite doing it. Uh, anybody who plays this uh, quickly realizes card draw is not the same as in a game like Magic. Uh, and card, card draw and Magic is huge. Uh, but here, since you fill your hand at the end of the turn, if you have the opportunity to draw a card, that's often not giving you anything uh, other than sort of uh, you know, a little information about what's coming next turn, uh, which, which uh, is, is uh, hard to take advantage of. If you happen to draw uh, a Logos card, you can play it. Uh, but if you've already got a big Logos turn, there's a good chance it isn't because you're playing whatever you've got. Five Logos cards in your hands, what are your chances yeah. of drawing a couple more? Um, yeah. and, and so uh, Logos still has the premier card drawing, and that does have, you know, it has some... Uh, um, it, it, it has some utility, although, you know, first-time players will sit down and say, wow, this card is amazing, and then it takes them a little while to realize, oh, you know, it's not that great. But, <laughs> so in an attempt to make card draw something comparable to what it is in another game, uh, came up with this idea of archive, because uh, the archive cards are not taking up your hand. They're in your hand in some sense, and that you can get them at the start of any of your turns, but at the same time, it's not slowing down your card draw. And so that's right. where it came from. Right, right. Just to throw a little aside in, there's a fairly unique effect of archiving an opponent's card. Um, yeah. Where did that come about from? Because that's one of the really odd ones. And, and what, what house is that in? That's in Mars. Mars. <laughs> that is. Uh, the, the, the problem child. Um, <laughs> the, uh, uh, yeah, that, that came about from uh, exploring... Uh, oftentimes, when I'm working on a game, um, uh, I I go back to the drawing board when I have some flavor I'm trying to get. Uh, so that happened, for example, in King of Tokyo. King of Tokyo was originally designed uh, as a fantasy game, not because I intended it to be fantasy, but because uh, it's a good palette to work with. Uh, but then later on, when we came up with the idea of putting uh, monsters in, I went back and that it wasn't just a matter of repainting. You have to go back and like redesign all the cards to make them more monstery. Um, right. And so you have a similar thing here. Uh, Mars didn't come into play until uh, fairly late in the game. Uh, uh, it was replacing uh, House Tinker, which was a <laughs> robot house. And uh, that had some problems of its own. Um, so house mars uh began to think of what uh, iconic things are in uh the mars attacks uh, uh and uh, war of the worlds type of martian and right. uh, uh, the idea of abducting and uh, oh, of uh course. abducting creatures and putting them in zoos and things like that that's uh, what it is that's and, why the zookeeper does that yeah, i mean, got it yeah. all right and so you're actually taking these creatures and abducting them and putting them in your zoo and uh, they might break out because if you ever draw that archive, they go back to the opponent. But in the meantime, they're safely, safely stashed away. Right. Well, I learned very, fairly quickly because I have two decks and one of them has a zookeeper in it. And when I'm playing my decks against themselves, I'm like, I, oh, who'd have thunk the most dangerous person on the board would be the zookeeper? <laughs> right? Like, yeah. he's, he's the guy with the keys walking around in the brown suit. He just happens to be green in this case. And you need to kill him before, <laughs> before he starts locking up your creatures. In the, in the, in the demo decks we have, we have two of the zookeeper. And the most common move is to archive the other zookeeper ASAP. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, wow. Like, always. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, those are all the questions we have, Richard. Uh, any, anybody else have any other questions they want to ask? 
Well, thank you very much, Richard. Uh, anything else you'd like to say? Uh, no, thanks for the interest. It's uh, always fun to talk games. Yeah, no. yeah, uh, it is. It, it's, uh, thank you very much for your time today. It's much appreciated. Keyforge, if, if you haven't, maybe you're a member of Facebook, maybe not, I don't know, but uh, the Facebook groups are rife with activity. Reddit is, is blowing up in terms of the Keyforge uh, group on Reddit. Uh, you did the AMA there. Uh, that's gotten a lot of attention. And so the excitement for this game is uh, as high as I've seen uh, for any other game uh, like it. Uh, we, we were part of the L5R relaunch last year. And this is obviously an L5R podcast centrally. And the excitement there was a whole different thing. It was a known quantity. This is a, there's a freshness and a vitality to this excitement that, that I don't think L5R had last year. But that might just be me. Well, this, this game is carving out a whole new niche in the gaming industry. So it's, it's pretty amazing to be a part of it. Yeah, yeah. And and it's it's fun, the, the, Richard. For those, for I, I didn't. I was going to say this after your answer, um, but one of the things that I've said about this game is that if you love, if you compete to win, this game might not be for you. But if you love to compete, uh, you should try this game. And that's kind of been my mantra for the last few weeks. Yeah, and I should say, uh, you in back the question, uh, how do I know if this is for me? Uh, one yeah. thing, one thing uh, I I usually say with regard to this and a lot of my designs is I really really like games like poker where there's a lot of skill and there's a lot of skill in, in KeyForge, but at the same time there's a lot of luck, uh, and uh, and I I'm a big fan of trying to manage the raging currents of luck and ending <laughs> up on top, and so. So there is, there is like if, if, if you uh, like a more deterministic game, um, there is a chance that this will not go well for you. Uh, if you can, sw you can uh, if you can deal with that uh, and, uh, and, and knowing that there is skill and your skill will show through in the end, uh, not in necessarily the game you're playing, but overall, <laughs> then, right. then I think you'll really enjoy the game. Yeah, well, we have we've we had a blast play testing it, and we've had a blast playing with the real cards. So, it's been a hoot. Again, thank you, Richard. Thanks. Bye bye. If you would like to join the discussion, have ideas for future episodes, feedback, or questions, you can contact us at artofwarcast at gmail.com, via Twitter at artofwarcast, via Facebook, or leave a comment in the episode's comments section. Please review us on iTunes. It helps other Rokugani find us. Thanks for listening, and remember, Honor is the deadliest weapon. weapon.